Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today I'm going to be talking with Brisa Alfaro about small moves, big results. Hello, I am Amy Zellmer. You're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not be familiar with me, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Drive Global, and the Goodman Project, and author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, available on Amazon, as well as the Concussion Discussion Series, also available on Amazon. Additionally, I'm editor-in-chief of the Brain Health Magazine, and you can get a free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast series at facesoftbi.com, and be sure to follow me on Instagram at Amy Zellmer. I also invite you to join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, my guest is Brisa Alfaro, and when she was nine years old, she experienced a brainstem stroke. As a result of the stroke, she developed locked-in syndrome at 32 years old. Brisa was locked in her body and unable to communicate while facing the seemingly insurmountable odds of a less than 1% chance to recover. With less than five cases of locked-in syndrome reported each year worldwide, she was finding it very difficult to remain hopeful. Through a series of small, actionable steps, Brisa was able to defy all expectations and made a full recovery. Now her passion lies in sharing her story to help others who may also feel stuck or locked into their circumstances. Welcome to the podcast, Brisa. So happy to have you. I think I might have read it wrong. I think I said when you were nine years old, and I meant nine years ago you had your stroke. So yeah. wanted to clarify that. <laughs> Thank you. No like, worries. I, I yeah. said that wrong. <laughs> TBI. Yeah, it, it was about nine years ago, yeah. Thank you for having well, Brisa, me. Yes, welcome to the podcast. And, you know, let's just start off by um, having you share your story. Um, you know, so you had a brainstem stroke. Uh, do you yeah. remember it happening at all? Or do you, did you just kind of wake up in the hospital unaware of what had happened? I, I was unaware of what had happened, but I do remember it. Um, so, like a lot of uh, of us um, brain injury survivors, we are busy people, had things to do. I was a really busy person. Right. I was traveling a lot. Yeah. I was in New York City and um, just busy. And literally, I did not have time to have a stroke. Like, <laughs> this was not in my plans. Um, but, you know, the universe works in different ways. And yeah. uh, I found myself in a New York City hospital. And I was very confused as to why everybody was talking to me uh, or talking about me, not to me. Um, they were talking about my brain injury talk, or talking about what was wrong with me. And um, 
no one was talking to me. And mm-hmm. as that kept going on, I was really confused. Like, why don't they hear me? Why don't they acknowledge me? And there was a situation that happened where I was literally talking to them, telling them, help that little boy first because I was in the same room and the little boy needed help and they were working on me and I was telling them, I'm fine, go help him. And they kept on working on me and I didn't understand, like, why are they ignoring me? Well, it didn't, uh, I didn't realize it until later that it's not that they were ignoring me. They just didn't hear me because I wasn't speaking. I was in my mind but I wasn't speaking out loud because at that point I had already had a stroke and I had already developed locked-in syndrome where I was locked in my own body and unable to communicate. So I was communicating in my mind. I was saying these these things, but they couldn't hear me because I wasn't actually doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it took a while for me to process that and understand that that this is, you know, serious and they they can't hear me and I'm not speaking and I'm I can only move my eyes and and you know the listening to the doctor's fate you know the doctor describing my medical condition to one by one my family showing up at the hospital I mean they're all from California so they all had to fly in and one by one I heard them you know explaining to them the nurses doctors and uh, everyone around just discussing it, and I, it was almost like a movie. I didn't think that they were talking about me. That couldn't possibly be me that they're talking about. So I was in this denial phase for a long time and realizing that I'm stuck, that this is my life, this is going to be my life forever. I'm listening to them say that there is less than 1% chance of recovery, that there were, it was a very rare, rare stroke um, where I was unable to move either side of my body. So things were coming in, but I couldn't express that they were coming in. And that was going to be my fate. That was going to be my life. And I started not accepting it, but just kind of, I don't know, mourning the the, the, yeah. the me who I was before and knowing I'm never going to be her again. And it was really difficult, but then I started hearing my family around me and they weren't accepting it. They weren't ready to just accept the, this news. And they did something for me that was very unconventional. They all started talking to me as if I was already okay and started planning my future, essentially. Like, you know, what are we going to do when we when, when we get out of here? Like, what's the first thing you want to do? And they basically started having me dream. I started dreaming about all the things that they want to do with me and all the things that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be accomplishing, the, the, the goals that they knew I had. They started reminding me of those those goals and my mom did something I don't know if you've ever heard of the secret but it's a uh, audio well it's a book but they made it an audio Mm -hmm. and that book focuses on the law of attraction essentially what you focus on grows and played this audio for me and in this book I was listening 
to all these uh, authors and speakers and and neurologists and like all these people that really believe in um, what you focus on grows that your your uh, that you can create you know your future and I'm thinking okay well before all of this I would have thought that was all hocus pocus but I had no more options. This was the only thing I can do. So if I was thinking now, if I clean up my thoughts and think of only healing, healing my body of the future that I wanted, then maybe there's something to it. Maybe there's a chance. And at that time, I didn't know about neuroplasticity. I didn't know Mm -hmm. about, you know, cells reconnecting or reconnecting our um, um, um. I'm sorry. Uh, I I still have aphasia. So I still have a lot of things. That yeah, I'm no, with. I do too. <laughs> yeah, reconnecting anyway, your neural I, pathways or neural yeah. pathways. Thank you. Yeah, I didn't know about any of that stuff, but I did. I was hopeful listening to this audio. There was one lady that said, um, "The first step is to ask. Make a command to the universe. Let the universe know what you want, because the universe responds to your thoughts." Thoughts are all I had at this point. So I began thinking if I clean up my thoughts and think of nothing but healing, then who knows what can happen, right? So it didn't matter when the doctors came in and said, you know, they're horrible news that I'm going to be like this for the rest of my life. It didn't matter that the doctors were saying whatever they were saying. I wasn't, I was still dreaming. I was still paying attention to what I wanted to create. And I focused so much on that that I began to believe it and live it. Like I, it was almost like a movie playing in my mind of the future that I was living. And every once in a while I'd get snapped back into reality. You know, the, the machines would start going off or whatever. It would just snap me back. Right. And I would think, Oh yeah, this is my life. I forgot, you know, but then I would go back into dreaming. So I did that a lot. And my mom was trying to communicate with me a lot, you know, and um, I think there was many times where I thought she could hear me, but it was really just a mother's intuition. She knew that I was, I was what I needed, you know, if I was cold and I needed extra blankets or whatever. And I thought that she could hear when I was telling her these things, but it wasn't, it was just her intuition. But one day she noticed me trying to, get to her and I just flickered my pinky I had done this before but nobody noticed and this moment my mom noticed and she ran to tell the doctors that you know my daughter's moving she's moving and my mom had made sure that it was on command she asked me several times to do it and I did it so at this point she's super excited and the doctors kind of disregarded her excitement and they said, ma'am, I know you want to believe it, but those movements are involuntary. It didn't matter how um, hard I was working on trying to show my mom and a family a sign that I was still in my body and to not give up right. on me and that I am trying, you know. It was really disheartening. And I began to think, you know what, maybe I can't. I can't do this because they came in and they did want me to do it in front of them. And at that point, I was so tired. I was so tired and I I, I couldn't do it. 
But one of my doctors, one of my neurologists that was in the room, he said, I think she's really trying. Give her another chance. I feel, I, I see her face changing a little. So give her more time. Because as you know, when you have a brain injury, there's a delay. So mm-hmm. when you want to say something or, I mean, this happens to me now when people are having conversations and I get so excited, I want to interject but the conversation is moving along so fast, and my thoughts are not catching up, the conversation has already passed, and I'm not at right. that point yet anymore. And it's already passed, so I just, oh, okay, forget it. So mm-hmm. that, that happened to me then. At, at that point, I needed more time to connect and to show my family that pinky move again and the doctors that pinky move again. And... That after the neurologist gave me more time, I was able to make that connection, and I was able to move my pinky, and that pinky move set the whole, you know, trajectory for my recovery because now they see me as a um, recovery and not, you know, this is my, uh, I'm just gonna, this is gonna be my fate, you know. It became a recovery, and that pinky move stemmed to, you know, moving the rest my arm and or my hand and then my arm and then I was able to do the little small things you know sit up sit up in a wheelchair wheel myself in a wheelchair um walk with a walker later with a cane months and months later I was able to walk unassisted years later I was able to drive in a car I mean all these little things stemmed from a little pinky move what I think a lot of us brain injury survivors we see a small progress is not enough. And we don't realize that if we celebrate that little tiny micro victory, it will compound and it will lead to more micro victories that we can eventually put together and they become big deals, macro victories. And, and people will look at us and go, wow, you're doing amazing. How did you get from here to there? Well, they don't all the little, little, tiny, tiny things that we had to right. to get through to get to where we are now. I mean, it wasn't overnight. We didn't just, like, mm-hmm. wake up one day and then here we are. We had to make those little, tiny, actionable steps. But we celebrated each one of those little things. And that's how we got to where we, we, we are now. So now when people see me as healthy, happy, living a full life as a speaker, author, coach, traveling around the country and doing TEDx and writing a book and all these things, they they see that and they think, oh, well, lucky for you, you know, you're good now. You know, you, you probably didn't have that bad of a right. brain injury. Yep, I get that but too. But really, mm-hmm. right? And it's not that. It's just a lot of little, little, little steps that we celebrated and we didn't ignore and we didn't look at it like it wasn't enough. We celebrated the fact that we did it. We accomplished it. Like, yay, we did that. Okay, what else can we do? What else can we do? What else do we got in us? Right? And I think that's that's ultimately what what we need to focus on is celebrating what we're accomplishing now. No matter how big or small it is, I think that when we do that, the um, there's something in our brain that that um, likes that celebration, that that likes that um, acknowledgement that we did it, and then 
we'll be able to do more of it. And I think that a lot of us brain injury survivors, we fall, and I've done it myself, fall into the fact like it's not enough. It's uh, not done right. But, I mean, if you think of a baby, when a baby is learning how to walk, how many times they stumble and fall? And what does everybody else do? Everybody else celebrates that baby falling because they don't want the baby to stop trying. They want the baby right. to get back up and try again. But we don't do that to ourselves. We don't celebrate when we fall. We don't celebrate the fact that we're trying. And I think that what gets celebrated gets repeated. And just like a baby learning how to walk, they got to keep doing it, doing it, doing it until they figure it out. You've never met a grown adult that doesn't know how to walk because they just, they just never got it. Like they just right. kept trying, but they kept falling. So they just said, you know what, walking isn't for me. So I guess I'm just not going to do it because I just kept trying. No, every, every, every able-bodied adult knows how to walk because, they kept trying, and they eventually figured it out. So we can do the same thing. We just got to keep so, trying. So, Brisa, how – so do they know what caused your stroke? So you had a rare uh, brainstem stroke. Do mm-hmm. they know what caused it? No. You know what? There's – oh, I can't remember the name, but um, – so, no, they don't know. that. That's the, the name I can't remember. There's a, a name for the type of stroke um, that I had, but they have never figured it out. And, honestly, I was holding on to the fact that why did this happen? Can you explain to me? I mean, I was 32. I was healthy. I was There was no reason for me to have mm-hmm. a stroke. And and I did. And and then on top of it, I have the, you know, the the biggest one that I could get, you know, and not just one side, it, it was both sides. And um, so when I was learning, relearning how to walk again, I had to relearn how to use both of my sides. When I had to learn how to brush my teeth, I, I had to relearn how to use both, both sides, you know, um, my right side and my left side, I, I, everything that I had to learn how to do it. It Mm -hmm. was like first one side, then move on to the other side. But it's something that it's not very common. So it's not studied very much. I mean, there, there is a lot of studies, but not as much as a regular, you know, um, um, the traditional regular traditional stroke. So uh, I kind of gave up on trying to figure out why, because no one gave me any answers. So mm-hmm. I gave up trying to figure out why, and I just figured, okay, well, what do I got to do now? And how long were you in that locked-in state? So I was locked in, completely locked in for a few days, um, probably about a week. And then um, we're to the point where I can only move my eyes. Then I was locked in with my body, and that was a few more, like, few more uh, weeks where I couldn't move. I was, I, I was making small movement. I feel like I was, I was not locked in anymore as soon as I made that pinky move. But uh, other people have told me otherwise. But 
uh, it probably about six years physically to make uh, the most physical uh, recovery. I'm still making physical and um, mental recovery every day. Every every day I make new things, and I honestly celebrate them. Like I can't remember what year we're currently living in right now because I have an issue with numbers after my brain injury. So uh, every once in a while, though, they, I don't know that they – my uh, neural pathways make that connection, and yeah, and it, and it, and and then all of a sudden I'm surprised, and I celebrate the fact that I remembered. So it was last week, and I remembered the year, and I was so excited. I was like, "Oh my god, I got that right!" And my mom's like, "Yeah, you got that right. That's what year we're living in." So I was so excited about that. I was on cloud nine about it and, and celebrating it, but. But here's the thing, when we do it over and over and over, so in the beginning of the year, I have a hard time remembering the year. But after the end of the year, like towards the end, like we are now, I I start to put put it together and I think, okay, so um, we're in year 2023. I can remember that in November, December, but it come January, it just changed. So now I got to remember that it's a new year. And because I have a problem with numbers, I don't know the consecutive order. So it takes me a minute to try to figure that out or it may not happen at all. But the key is not to beat yourself up about it. I just kind of laugh mm-hmm. about it and I'll just, you know, brush it under the rug and just go and keep going because I think if we dwell on what we can't do anymore or what is difficult for us, we're giving that um, energy. And we need to give yeah. our energy on what we're doing good, what we're yeah. doing right, what, what what we need to celebrate. And so. so when you were in the hospital, so you were locked in roughly, would you say six months, um, <laughs> how, how much time did you spend in the hospital total? Um, and what what sort of rehab did they have you doing? I know you said you had to kind of learn how to use both sides of your body, which is, you know, different mm-hmm. from a traditional stroke. Um, so how, mm-hmm. how did that process kind of go for you? Um, uh, I'm sure most, most listeners know that um, the hospitals are kind of in a rush to get, the, get us the heck out mm-hmm. of the hospital. <laughs> they want us to go home. And we Definitely. deal, well, for me... Yeah. And for me, I felt I felt like what if when I go home, what if there's something wrong? Who's going to be there to help me? You know, there's no monitors. There's I'm not hooked up to all these machines and and all these you know, staff just right there to help me. So I was I was nervous. But they did um release me. I think it was like 6 6 months, something like that. So I went from a regular hospital to another regular hospital from New York to California. I was flown in a medical Learjet to California and then I was in a regular hospital and then I ended up in an inpatient rehab facility. So I was I felt a little bit more comfortable there um where I was able to still have medical um personnel working with me and um I was still like red uh, 
red tagged or I don't know. I was a fall risk um, and mm-hmm. because I couldn't walk or anything. And I was still um, breathing through a, a, um, the machines, you know, the, what is it called? Um, I was traked. So I was still, I was still uh, breathing through the machines because I was traked and, and being fed through a tube in my stomach. So I had to stay in the hospital. But when they did release me, um, I was released with, I was, I was capped. Um, so now I was breathing natural air. And I was still being fed through a tube in my stomach when I got home. My mom was doing it. And uh, months later, my mom or took me, we had an appointment to get it removed. And I started feeling like, okay, things are getting back to normal. I'm, I'm able to start seeing myself as a normal body person, right? And um, I think there were so many moments that would remind me, oh, no, you're not. You know, you're, you still mm. have issues with this or that or whatever. But it didn't stop me from trying. So I would do things like unconventional things. Um, I would try to play, um, um, what is it called, uh, Jenga with my hands. Mm, you know, you, uh-huh. have to, you, you have to be pretty steady. I mean, not super steady. I mean, I've seen animals on YouTube play Jenga. I don't even, I was blown <laughs> away when I saw that. But anyways, I was playing Jenga with my family because I had to stack the blocks. And it wasn't even, um, they would they would help me pull the block out and then I would have to stack it. And that was helping my fine motor skills. Also, I did other things where I wasn't a fan of it, but my mom, she played a big role in my recovery. And... Once I got mobility, more fine motor skills in my right hand, she noticed I was favoring that hand more. And I think we tend to do that more because one side works better than the other or or Mm -hmm. not at all, you know, the other side. But when we are faced with no other option, we start making those neural pathways. We start connecting them out of, of, um, like, um, I don't know, like desperation almost. So my right. mom, at this point, I was so, I was getting really good at working my fingers so I could use my phone again. And I could text and I could look things up on my phone. And so I was excited I, could, I was at that point. But then my mom threw a curveball and put an oven mitt on my right hand. And she says, you're no longer going to use your right hand. You're going to make your left hand move more. I barely had any any function in my right, my left hand. So I just looked at her like, you're crazy. I can't even lift it. I barely can move it. And she says, well, you're going to have to figure it out because you got to keep that glove on your hand. Okay, so I was really frustrated for days. But after a while, I figured, you know what, unless I figure this out, I'm just going to stay frustrated. So I started trying to do, to, to do things with my left hand, and it was frustrating. All, that fine motor skill, when you gain ability on one side and then 
Now you've got to get the other side to catch up. I can't even express to you how how frustrating it is because you know you've got a side that works. But also what works is that frustration, making that that frustration work for you. And, And I was able to send those signals to my hand to make that fine motor skill improve more because I just kept doing it over and over and over and over again because I gave myself no other option and neither did my family. I mean, they were all Mm -hmm. in on it. So when they would (laughs) see me slip off the glove, you know, my brothers would be like, mom, she took off her glove, you know, so they were were all in on it. But uh, at that time I was frustrated with them, but now I'm very grateful because it helped me a lot. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, Bree, so we're just about out of time. And I want to make sure uh, we take just a quick minute to mention um, how people can find you. Um, you do have a website, pinkymoves.com. Um, mm-hmm. And you also have a book. Um, so in the show notes, wherever you're listening, I have clickable links to both of those. Um, so tell us a little bit about what they can find on your website. Um, yeah, so basically it's just a way to connect with me. Um, you can connect with me there or on social media. Free Selfaro is, is um, what I use. I do have um, uh, different options in working with me. You can work with me, you know, one-on-one or um, just different modalities. Some, some people have uh, ha- hired me to speak at different events. They can do that too. But either way, I'd love to connect with uh, whoever is looking for a little bit of inspiration, uh, some different options to help their loved one or themselves, you know, just to see what other options are out there. And I think it's important for all of us to stay connected. That's why, I mean, Amy, I love what you do. And there are different brain injuries. There isn't just one TBI. There are so many. And the fact that you are shedding light on all of it, I think it's amazing. And I wish that more of us, you know, had the confidence to do this and to go out there and share our stories because it mm-hmm. helps so many people. It really does. It right. really resonates with somebody. And Absolutely. Know, connect with me. I'd love to hear your story. So anybody connect with me on uh, social media or on my website. Great. Well, Brisa, thank you so much for being here today. Um, You just are so inspiring. I appreciate all you're doing as well. So thank you. Thank you. Likewise, Amy. And thank you, everyone, for listening today. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. And you can always find all of our past episodes on most streaming platforms, such as iTunes or Spotify, or you can find them directly at facesoftbi.com. And also you can follow me on Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And also remember to join Amy's TBI tribe on Facebook. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it for just five bucks at buymeacoffee.com slash Amy Z. Thank you all for listening and thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you in the next episode.